To the Ether. Today is Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. This episode of the Ether is brought to you by Orbital Command, a community validator on Terra dedicated to educating, expanding, and promoting the lunatic community. Visit OC's What We Do page using the link in the show notes to take advantage of some of their other educational resources, including weekly meetups to discuss Terra protocols, strategies, and concepts, the Terra Luna Intel report on Telegram, and YouTube explainer videos on Terra concepts. You can also support their community efforts by considering them next time you're delegating or redelegating your Luna. Find out more at orbitalcommand.io. This episode of the Ether is also brought to you by Talus. Talus Protocol is the NFT platform for independent artists on Terra. Talus helps to provide artists with the tools and resources needed to transition from traditional art into the NFT world. With their V1 launch coming soon, Talus will be the place to see real-world art reflected on Terra. Be sure to join their Telegram and follow Talus on Twitter for updates on their roadmap, validator, and other Talus news. Find your next favorite artist on talus.art. TerraSpaces appreciates the support of all our sponsors. Today on the Ether, we have the Risk Harbor Ozone Anchor Community AMA. Let's take a listen. What's up, everybody? How's everyone doing? All right. It looks like we're all here. Doing great. How's everyone? Yeah, doing great. great. Hey, Max. Hi, how's it going? Doing really well. Awesome. Awesome. Excited to kick this off, everybody. Let's just... Um, give it a minute for some more people to trickle in here. We're kind of low on numbers right now. So we're typically over a few hundred. So um, we can kind of just start off chatting about some random stuff. Um, you know, why insurance is important is kind of highlighted just by the recent wormhole vulnerability that we saw, you know, although it was minor and it strengthened the protocol and thankfully it was early on. It just shows that Really, it's hard to predict these things, and this is what we call, you know, black swans, so to speak, where we just don't have any idea how to project out that they're going to happen, and that's kind of where insurance products come in, right? That's right, Nate. Certainly, right in the real world, we have car insurance, we have we have health insurance, we have uh, you know life insurance, property insurance. Uh, so in crypto, you know, how do you protect yourself? You know, this is just one of those one of those ways that I think a lot of people can, can wrap their heads around uh, and really make sense for for some of the folks that you know don't just want to jump in and, and, and risk it all going to zero. Yeah, I think I mean the thing to realize is that there can't be reward without risk, and so anytime you see these yields, there's going to be inherently some risk associated with it. And also, the other thing to realize, no matter how good the devs are on a project, I mean the the wormhole devs are really a great team, very smart guys backed by some really smart investors and you know they had a had a bug in the code and that can happen in any code base and so it's just important to recognize these risks are here in in DeFi, they're here in FatFi as well and just there's always risk anywhere you go exactly exactly and yeah like you said risk is proportional to the reward in a lot of ways so um that's certainly why just for all you that are aware i'm was early in on the Anchor community. I was following the project well before it even launched, bugging the guys over at TFL about it. And as soon as it launched, um, I was the pioneer behind getting this insurance project going. And really, you know, I met with Doe and met with people over at TFL, and it really just started to morph into this bigger thing, right? And then it morphed into Ozone, and then it morphed into having billion dollars behind it and now it's this decentralized product that's separate from anchor itself which i think is you know tremendously important um max maybe you can walk us through a little bit about how 
you know, the partnership started and what that entailed and just kind of, and a lot of people are curious because you guys have been hard at work creating this amazing product. It takes a lot of scrutinizing work, right? A lot of attention to detail, a lot of prudence. So kind of maybe tell people where you guys came into the equation and kick it off. Yeah, for sure. So I think, I mean, the story kind of starts with the ozone product and the, the inception of this idea that we could build something that uh, would protect users in Anchor and would allow uh, the protocol Anchor itself, the Terra ecosystem to thrive by bringing in more risk-averse investors and institutional investors, right? And so the Terraform Labs team started building out this ozone product. There was a lot of discussion about it. Um, and along the way, at the same time, the Risk Harbor team was hard at work building our V1 on mainnet. And uh, I think the key difference between our uh, solution and what was going on in the rest of the DeFi insurance space with Nexus and with the old Ozone product was we had this idea that we could completely eliminate all human interaction from the claims process. So that like the only thing you need to do when you file a claim is that we have a smart contract check it. And um, this is like a much better system, I think a much more decentralized system. And it really uses the power of this whole crypto ecosystem that we have. So these two things were happening at the same time. We had this need for some kind of insurance product on Anchor and we had Risk Harbor team building on uh, mainnet. And I think what Doe and the rest of Terraform Labs realized is like, this was a great product and uh, it would be a great insertion into the Ozone project as well. And, and we realized like, we wanna be a part of the Anchor ecosystem. And really importantly, we had this, one of our main products was uh, a big Anchor protection and UST pr protection pool that we had on mainnet ETH that was doing a lot of volume. And, and that was like a very successful product. Uh, and I think we both recognize that that would be a great partnership where we could come in and, and help each other. Yeah, that's really exciting because it kind of overlapped with what Doe and I were seeing was this idea of like an automatic claim, right? Why do we, why did we just try to replicate the TradFi insurance industry, right? If we look at all the other, I shouldn't say all because I'm not familiar with them all, but the major ones out there, they've got overhead costs, maybe not analogous to TradFi, but they still have overhead costs that they actually have to have people who look at these things, evaluate them, make sure that people vote to pass that claim. All of this is cost that eventually is passed on to the user, right? So the more you can automate and leverage the power of decentralization, the more you can pass that savings on to the user. Isn't that right, Max? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think the the like original attempts at this, exactly as you said, are trying to bring this traditional insurance paradigm onto the chain. And in order to do that, to achieve decentralization, you have to have many more people evaluating claims than you had to have in a traditional finance system where some people are trusted, right? So you have these governance token holders voting on the validity of claims, which first of all is really slow. And they had this conflict of interest where oftentimes the governance token holders were also the underwriters on the insurance protocol. So if they voted that a claim was valid, they would have to pay out their own money. And so obviously they didn't like to do that very much. And you can go investigate yourself on some of these insurance protocols, whether they like to pay out claims very often, and they definitely didn't. Um, so we said, instead of multiplying the number of people who have to evaluate a claim for it to be successful, why don't we just eliminate those people entirely, multiply by zero, and, and that's what we did. Yeah, it's kind of it's like um, reverse moral hazard in that sense, right? Like they're disinformed they're disincentivized to actually do what they're supposed to do because they get rewarded higher with shield mining or anything like that. Um, so it's really interesting that you make that point. Um, you know, another point that I think is really important is decentralization as a key cornerstone of UST, right? And we see that coming up a lot in the news right now um, with the US regulatory framework starting to, the tone starting to shift pretty heavily towards possibly regulating some of these big stablecoin issuers and these big stablecoin issuers cozying up like Circle 
to the U.S. regulators. Um, and so this kind of goes hand in hand, right? If we're going to have decentralized money, shouldn't we have a decentralized insurance protocol as well? Yeah, exactly right. Decentralized money needs decentralized protection, right? Absolutely. So, you know, kind of on that line, I know that <laughs> you guys have been hard at work in building. So there's kind of like this vacuum that exists within the community that people insert their own ideas of <laughs> what they think is happening. And this is where all the these great <laughs> thoughts come up. So this is kind of our thought to kind of clear some of that up, clear the water, um, get everyone on the same page. I myself, you know, because you guys are working on it, I, I'm core protocol researcher at Anchor. I still don't even know 100% what's going on. So it just shows, I think it's important though, right? Because it shows that it's a separate party. It shows that it's decentralized and that they're not having any kind of conflict of interest with the actual protocol itself. But with that said, um, one of the big things that's come up is like, okay, wh where did the where did the billion dollars go, and and why are why is there so little insurance right now? There's a lot of questions, but maybe let's start with actually how the money was transferred and how you actually had your own overhead funds and things like that. That the money wasn't commingled in any way. I think that'd be great to dive into, probably in some over like maybe an over <laughs> a high level overview and then maybe actually go down into the granular details a little bit for the community yeah i think the first thing to note is that the development was funded entirely by the risk harbor team and uh the previous and also by terraform labs so none of it was from community funds um and then the other thing to note is that the 10 million that's in there that's like a test that that uh is certainly not the final amount that's going to be in there so all we used all our own resources at risk harbor to to build this for the community and uh, it wasn't the other way around um so that's the big first point and then the second point is that 10 million that's just a test to make sure that these contracts are sound uh the last stage of you know testing in prod and then we're gonna get to uh, we're going to get more funds, hopefully, from the community. So the community, those that billion dollars has not been allocated yet to us. There's going to be a proposal, um, and and that will be when those the billion dollars come in. So it hasn't come yet. It's not like it's been, you know, squandered or anything. It just we we haven't even got it anything yet. So yeah. Yeah, I so think that's a really good point, <laughs> right? You got how could you spend the money if you don't have it? And that's all on-chain data, right? It's like it it has to go up for governance for it to be transferred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're we're working on a mechanism as well that's going to diversify some of those funds to be used for uh, UST peg protection. So right now we're covering anchor smart contracts uh, and anchor stability, but there's also this aspect of UST protection that can also help the protocol and, and the Terra ecosystem. So we're also working on a mechanism for that. That's going to have a diverse basket of different assets, some other decentralized stable coins, possibly some other centralized stable coins, certainly uh, other uh, very high liquidity cryptocurrencies that are maybe not stable like Bitcoin and ETH. So all that stuff is going to go into a mechanism for securing the UST peg. Is that a little alpha you're dropping there? Is that kind of what Doe's been <laughs> hinting at a little bit with fractional reserves for UST? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say we're, we're, we're dropping too much alpha for that because I think we've been talking about uh, me mechanisms like that on a lot of AMAs and, and I think Doe's talked about some of it too, but um, yeah, definitely stay tuned. A lot of exciting stuff. Yeah, that's, that's definitely really exciting. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about how much are you going to allocate more than 10 million even before the billion comes in to do like a second round of testing? Or are you going to just rely on this 10 mil, wrap your testing up and then put a proposal up? Sorry, can you just repeat that question? Yeah, are you, are you guys going to deploy any more um, before you actually deploy the actual billion amount that has to go up for proposal. So you got 10 million now, is that correct, for insurance and coverage? Are you going to ramp up more before you request the actual billion, or are you going to just keep testing with what you have now? 
Yeah, so I um, I don't want to go too much into that, but I think we, we have an announcement that's coming next week that's going to go into all the details of this. Uh, we're, we're doing our diligence and we're, we're making those decisions right now, but there's going to be an announcement next week that's going to cover all of these details from our side. Okay, okay cool. I won't push you any further on that then, I understand. Um, maybe we can hop on to a few more questions um, that, that seems to be pretty... Question, a lot of questions asked. I think one of the main things to say is like, you know, peg insurance on Anchor is not included in this. That kind of piggybacks to what you were just saying. Um, but maybe we could just on a high level quickly overview what it does cover because, you know, a couple, about a month ago, we had the, a little more than a month ago, we had the Oracle uh, malfunction, which caused some liquidations to go through and there was some misunderstanding, you know, that that might be covered. Maybe you could talk about what exactly is covered just for the community. Yeah, so uh, it's actually quite simple. When you deposit UST into Anchor, you get back this AUST token, okay? And uh, that's in some proportion. I think it's 1.18 UST per AUST right now. And so, oh, I, I do want to note that we were actually... Uh, the, I believe we were the first people to notice the exploit on the oracles. And so we actually notified uh, people about that, I think. Uh, anyway, yeah, so you, back to this point, you have your UST deposit and you get uh, AUST back, okay? And so always that AUST should be redeemable for some amount of UST according to that ratio. And... Um, what we're actually doing is we're we're basically checking whether your AUST is redeemable for the amount of UST that it should be redeemable for. And if it's not, we're going to pay you out. And if it is, then we're not going to pay out. So it's a very simple mechanism, but really we're we're covering that AUST to UST ratio. Yeah, and I think that's really clear. I think where people might get a little confused is about how you peg it in different tranches. Is that correct? Right? Like every so many months you're going to peg it to because AUST is obviously continually accruing in value so uh, you have to at some point pick the level at which you're going to accrue which you're going to benchmark that to and you'd obviously be over insuring for some users if they bought insurance let's say three months after you had already issued it at a, at a lower AUST rate just for everyone that doesn't know the balance of AUST is continually going up, right? So it's like 1.1 something right now. Um, and it was just 1.0 to begin with. So it's always gonna go up in time because it's auto compounding in that way. So it could maybe just cover a little bit about how that works. Yeah, so uh, I think right now we have like a a one-to-one -one coverage, which is like maybe 85% of the value of AUST is supposed to be, but that's just on our test pool. Um, when we launch the main pool, it's going to be starting at 95% of the value. And that's going to decay only slightly over a three-month period. And then we're going to relaunch the vault as we are building out new features. So when we relaunch the vault, we're going to update that again to be at the 95% level. So it's going to be in that 95% range, 95% to 93% range. All the time because we're just going to be updating it when it falls too far yeah so um just so i'm clear um you're not actually insuring interest that's we may have lost him there he's he's had some difficulties with twitter spaces in the past and i don't know what it is with twitter and android devices but uh that's what ends up always end up kicking nate off of the, the call here so maybe we'll wait for him to to jump back uh, it's always night no one really else has these kind of issues. So it's, it's Nate. It's not the phone. It's Nate. Yeah, it might it might just be Nate. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I, the question was, uh, I think whether we're insuring interest or uh, whether we're insuring uh, the the principal. We're really insuring the principal, but because we're updating these uh, parameters every time we relaunch the vault, which is going to be, we think right now every three months. Uh, as you accrue interest in the first three months, we're going to update our parameters and you're going to have to protect on the interest you incurred in the previous three months and the next three months. Um, but really we're focused on protecting your principal and not, um, not the interest. 
because uh, in principle, uh, an attacker ha could happen anytime within the bolt deploy time. So we can't really know how much interest you're supposed to have accrued, right? So we're we're just focused on protecting that principle. That that makes complete sense. Um, and I see I've doxed as a Android user again, or now just a Nate user. <laughs> um, so maybe we can hop into a little bit about how you guys calculate your risk. Um, I was curious myself. Are you using like some? So, just filling up dead space. What kind of what kind of things do you think do people think that you that you're sure, what, but actually you don't? So, what are some of the common misconceptions of stuff that you keep keep on getting up? Yeah, I think people ask about liquidations a lot. Liquidations are just you know a natural way that the protocol maintains its balance sheet. Uh, so we're, we're not, uh, you know, protecting against liquidations at all. Um, and we're not really protecting against, uh, your like B Luna being taken, although indirectly you could use our instrument to hedge that risk. What we're really protecting is just the value of your UST deposited and making sure you can get that out from the IOU AUST token that they give you. That, that's the, the thing we're protecting. And uh, we'll have some announcements about USTDPEG as well in the, in the future uh, as we're working on that. So if the, so just to clarify, I'm, I'm curious myself, um, you know, as an individual investor. So if there is to be a hack of, you know, Anchor Protocol, is the principal balance covered then or is it just basically covering like if there's any difference or movement in the uh AUST to UST kind of ratio yeah so it will be if you are an investor and you've put your UST in the protocol and you have a bunch of AUST and that AUST is no longer redeemable for the UST that it should be then you'll be paid out so we're gotcha. not covering that on the protocol side risk, we're covering on the individual side risk, which is really you know, where a lot of the demand is. So what kind of scenario, just out of curiosity, like would lead to that type of situation? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think it's one where the, the answer is super interesting and maybe it's not talked about very much, but Anchor really is a, is a lending protocol and it, it acts in some ways like a bank where people will deposit their bonded Luna and their their ETH and, and their Lido ETH, and they will use that to borrow UST and in some ways to, to leverage on the, the staking yields and on the exposure to the assets themselves. And what that means, like simply put, is that at any given time, it may be the case that Anchor Protocol has more AUST obligations outstanding than it has UST sitting in its reserves. And that's a similar to a bank, right? Like you go to the bank, you put in $100 and then they take $90 of it and lend it to somebody else and they're only holding 10, 10 of it. So if you wanted to go back and get your $100, like you're, you're, if everybody wanted to go back and get their money from the bank at the same time, you would have a bank run. And uh, we, have a, we can see exactly that same type of thing happen in uh, a protocol like Anchor if things go really wrong. So that's one of the things that can happen and it can cause the anchor protocol not to have enough reserves to pay you out. Um, I think we saw something kind of like this happen for one day with MIM where uh, there was like some loss of confidence and uh, people were kind of withdrawing a bunch of their collateral from the protocol. So uh, MIM is not a bank, but we could see a, something like that happen, and that would be kind of a loss of uh, solvency for the protocol. And then the other thing that can happen, and they're kind of intertwined, is that the value of the variable priced assets, so your Luna, your ETH, um, they, those can fall very rapidly. And uh, you can have what's called a deflationary spiral, which means the price of Luna falls, and then the Liquidators come in, they they pay UST to buy off the Luna and, and take the loan off the balance sheet, but then they have to sell the Luna to reduce their own directional exposure. That drives the price of Luna down further, and the whole process can repeat again. 
uh, and again. So that's a deflationary spiral. And again, these are like really worst case scenarios. Like we don't expect these to happen, but these are like the kind of things that could happen that would trigger a payout. Yeah, yeah black, 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 swan risk, black swan risk, right? And so that kind of leads me to the question of like, how are you pricing that in? Like mar marginal solvency capital requirements and things like that. You know, typically insurance agencies, you know, three standard deviations once in every 200 years. What are you guys looking at to price that risk? Right. So for us, like, well, there's two aspects. There's pricing these things which in a risk-free world is just the expected loss, okay? And then there's managing your portfolio. And we're lucky that the uh, Terra Community Fund is going to be doing the underwriting here. And so um, that it's over-collateralized, so we're, we're always going to be able to pay out. Um, and that's, that's for now. We have on our mainnet v2 implementation, we have a system in place uh, for leveraging, for allowing the same amount of reserve capital to be used to underwrite multiple protocols. And uh, I'm happy to get into that, but like for now, for this V1, it's all over collateralized. So we're just, there's no risk that a black swan is gonna take this out and we're not gonna be able to pay out. This is zero risk because we're always gonna have the funds to pay out, it's over collateralized. Just we have a million in capital and a million in, in notional insurance and it's always gonna be at least more capital to pay out then the, the notional insurance demand for that capital. Um, another question I had was around the, the actual, um, you know, testing deployment that you guys had put out. And then, you know, really the question is, you know, when could we expect, um, you know, more to be rolled out so you can, you know, there's more capacity, basically, like there's more supply that people can use to protect their uh, AUST. Yeah, so we're going to have an announcement that goes into all the specifics of this, and um, that's going to be coming out next week, so I don't want to get into it too much, but like, stay tuned. There's a lot of exciting stuff in that announcement next week about the capacity. Yeah. Awesome. Would you, I, would you sorry, sorry, sorry. On, on that question, would you be able to just talk about some of the factors that influence capacity, just at like a high level, like why you are constrained in, in some circumstances? And like what, you know, in the future, five years, 10 years, what is the kind of the max or and where are we headed on a high level? Yeah, yeah. It's our, um, by the way, like increasing capacity is our, our P0, right? And we see that the demand right now, we, we put on 10 million and, you know, it was almost immediately eaten up. So we, we clearly see there's demand from the community. So way too much demand for the current capital that we have. And, and we're really looking forward to um, increasing it. So definitely stay tuned for that announcement. Um, I'll talk more generally about uh, how these markets work. Basically, we have underwriters who are taking kind of the risk on, and we have protection purchasers who are selling the risk. And so in order for there to be capacity, there has to be somebody who's willing to take on the risk and somebody who's willing to sell the risk. And the person who is selling the risk has to believe that they're actually getting the coverage that they're paying for. And so you can do some clever mechanisms that make it so that you don't have to have one-to-one -one coverage there. And that's what we've done on our V2. And actually, I was on a call today with one of our newest team members at uh, Risk Harbor, who's a brilliant Rust engineer, and we're building out those solutions in Rust so we can bring it to the Terra ecosystem and we can have this uh, leverage, which is improving capital efficiency and making sure we can provide as much protection as possible. But the core limitation is always going to be if you sell um, X many units of insurance on an event, you have to at least have X many units of capital to pay out that insurance if it happens. Um, so that's always going to be a limitation. But if you have a bunch of events that are somewhat independent, you can use the same capital to sell protection on all of those events. And that, that can cut down your capital constraint a lot. And that's what we've done with our risk cover AMN in risk cover V2. So, yeah. What you're talking about there is solvency capital requirements, correct? You're actually 
levering up, right? So you're really only ensuring a portion of it because the probability of like a three standard deviation event like that is low enough that you have the capital to ensure that percent of that happening. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the, the important thing to recognize though is like with these type of events, um, and we see it with some of the credit derivatives and in trad markets too, is like the that three sigma of deviation is actually coming from correlated protocol failure. So you're you always have to maintain enough capital or at least enough like value on hand that you can pay out if one event happens. And really the thing that, that's gonna maybe cause a default is if everything uh happens together in a black swan type of event. Yeah, so and then and then we hope the gold in our backyard is that we buried is still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then we buy treasury bills, right? Because it's all over at that point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so why don't we um we have some people that have requested to speak here. Um Max, if you're all right with this, we can start taking some questions from the community as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we got Advius Protocol, if you have a question. Oh no, I was just looking. I just wanted to get attention as a speaker. All right. <laughs> um, I guess we will uh, bring up the next person here, William. William, can you hear us? Do you have a question? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Um, so, yeah, I just discovered uh, Anchor a few days ago here. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand. Um, so, Anchor is um, a lending protocol that essentially it has a bunch of money from deposits and then is lending out X amount of money and then also has two other ways of making money. But uh, the question is, um, so is the protocol running at a, at a deficit? And if so, like how, how, how much of a interest rate would get dropped on the APY for that to sustain? Did that make sense? Can you just yeah. restate the, the last part one more time? Yeah. So if the protocol is is running at a deficit, like how much of the APY would have to be cut in order for it to sustain and scale? Yeah. So he's asking, and this is a question for Anchor Protocol then, uh, basically like the profitability of Anchor Protocol at the current moment and then like moving forward, uh, does the actual earn rate need to be adjusted to uh, make the protocol sustainable in his view? Perfect. Yeah. And so essentially what happens is that if the yield reserve goes to zero, then the market dictates that rate based on the utilization ratio and everything in there. So currently, I haven't looked at the numbers today, but I think we're somewhere around nine or 10% at what that would be. Um, it really all depends because it'd be more of a dynamic rate at that point. Yeah, and and uh, maybe I'll give an outsider perspective from somebody who's not, you know, directly working on the anchor protocol. I think in general, when you have a yield like anchor, which is much higher than the yields that are available in the rest of the market, you're going to have this osmosis type effect where the capital is constantly flowing into anchor because the yields are higher, um, and so. You can't really have um, a big differential forever because you're all. What's going to happen is anchors going to become like a huge protocol because capital is going to flow in chasing these yields. So um, I think eventually you have to look at what other similar protocols are doing and like the yield there. Either that yield is going to have to come up or anchor yield. Is going to have to attenuate slightly because there's this osmosis effect in the markets where they try to like equilibrate these yields. The way I think about it, in some respects, is that uh, you know certainly at the moment, at the on the current trends, I think everyone you know understands. I think you know you know things where things are headed. But the great part about this protocol is that it's community driven, and there are really really good ideas you know of, of all our members that are posted in the forum. Uh, yeah, that, that, that folks are continually working on that are driving new sources of borrow that are thinking of creative ways to address these solutions. So just because, you know, we're sitting in this space today doesn't necessarily mean that's where we're going to be tomorrow or in a week or in a month or, you know, six months from now. 
Yeah, and 20% is a crazy high APY. So I think it's assumed that over time, eventually that will come down. Um, and you know, we've seen we've seen borrow rates that make the earn rate somewhat sustainable if the borrow picks up and if the market turns up to be higher, right? Um, than the majority of protocols out there. Thanks for the question, William. Let's take the next one up here. Who is Andrew? Andrew, do you have a question? Seems like your mic might not be working, Andrew. We'll bring up the next speaker here, Cryptographer. Cryptographer, do you have a question? Sure, thanks. Um, I tuned in a little late, so I don't know if you answered it, but um, I've been keeping an eye on that. Uh, um, the uh, ozone pool uh, for when the insurance is going to be re-upped. Um, I'm sure you probably mentioned it and I missed it, but um, I assume that you guys are planning on refilling it at some point soon. And I'm just curious if there was a timeline on that. Yep. So we're going to have an announcement on this uh, in the next week. So stay tuned for that. Very exciting announcement on this. Cool. Thank you. And um, yeah, I think it's awesome. I just, I love uh, the Terra ecosystem and and Anchor. That's what got me into Terra initially. And then, you know, I think it's going to go a long way. I'm, I'm stoked about it. Yeah. Awesome ecosystem, right? And uh, I think that just to reiterate, that's our P0 is getting these, these, uh, this capacity up. And there's so much demand from retail users and also from in, in some internal conversations we've had with some institutional investors as well who are really, really ready to jump into the ecosystem as soon as their risk quotas are met by the social insurance. So super exciting. Great question, cryptographer. Uh, next one is going to be RIP. RIP, do you have a question? Hey, hey, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for take, bringing me up. Um, I just want to confirm uh, that. So, if I was as a user deposit, let's say um, my hundred dollars in anchor, and then everything after that, so the interest that I earned would not be insured until I hit three months later. And then my interest will be insured for that past three months. And then I'd have to wait another three months. So for instance, a hundred dollars deposit in three months, I, I earned I know, $7 interest, $107 would be uh, insured. And then I'd have to wait another three months and maybe it's 116 would be insured. Is that how that works? And my second question, is there going to be uh, uh, tokens for uh, ozone? Yeah. So, um, I think that's exactly the the right way to think about it, basically, is you deposit your, say you deposit 100, so the math is easier, and then uh, you purchase insurance right at the beginning of the three-month vault, and then you earn like 4%, right? I think current rate is 19.5 or something, so you earn 4% in three months. And then uh, at the end of the three months, we'll like, up the covered the payout ratio so that um, the in, the interest that you've earned is part of your principal now. So like we're compounding every three months. So one hundred four dollars uh, so, would be yeah. So now you'll have like the equivalent of if you purchase protection on one hundred four. Yeah. Okay, and is that is that going to also be for these uh, you know something like uh, Alice and uh, out, outlaw or outlet, um, are they going to have a similar kind of insurance thing where what their users deposit through Anchor? Is it similar uh, in that respect? And what about institutions as well? Is it is it all going to be the same for everybody or is it going to be different tiers or levels? Or Yeah, I mean, we don't have any plans to do any different uh, tiers. I think uh, we're, we're still working on the details of peg protection, but it may be that that will become an optional add-on so you can get both the peg protection and the smart contract protection or just the smart contract protection or maybe just the peg protection. Um, but the details of that are not finalized yet. But I, we don't have any plans to, you know, give some special coverage to, you know, a, a trap fly person because they're a trap fly person. We're going to treat everybody uh, equally for sure. Okay. Is, there, is it possible that there's so many depositors that it... Uh you're not able to cover potentially uh, every one of them who, 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 who wants insurance. 
is if that makes sense. So, you know, like Anchor's going cross chain, uh, all these institutions eventually going to be using it, all these neobanks eventually going to be using it. Uh, is there a scenario where, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there is, but uh, wh- what are your thoughts behind that? Sorry, can you just repeat that? Yeah. So, you know, with, with potentially all these uh, users and dApps using Anchor uh, and depositing, um, you know, uh, is it is it is there going to be an issue? You know, if we have all, all these cross chain uh, DApps uh, institutions coming in, neo banks coming in to be able to cover uh, the the deposits, if that makes sense. And, oh. Yeah, yeah. So is there going to be enough capacity? Right. Y- yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, For people that want the insurance, right. So uh, it's hard to say that for certain. It's a it's a forecasting exercise, right. But uh, what what I can say is like there's a way that we can tune the price of the insurance so that the insurance goes to the people who are really needed. Like, and uh, in some ways, like the people who really need it are the institutional investors who have risk quotas, or the like small retail investors who like also have a risk quota. It's not a formal risk quota like the institutionals, but like uh, it's. They, they don't, they're investing their, you know, college fund or something. So those two types of people on opposite ends of the spectrum have, um, like, these really hard to get around risk quotas. And those are the people who are really going to demand the insurance. And they're going to be willing to pay high, slightly higher prices. And in the middle, the, like, hedge funds and, uh, you know, people who are less risk averse, they're going to demand the protection less. And they're not going to be willing to pay as much. And so the way that we target, if we have, uh, you know, not enough capacity to fill everybody who wants this, the way that we can target it is by setting the price so that um, it, it, the market clears, right? Very one sense of the market clearing. Yep. Got it. Okay. And, and just last question, uh, is there a token that's going to be associated with Ozone or? Or is that oh, yeah. So there's going to be a risk harbor token, and uh, it, there's going to be ways that you can earn that token uh, through those on protocol. Great. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for the question, RIP. We got Mr. B coming up here connecting. Hi, guys. Mr. B, do you have a question? Yes. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Excellent. Well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for hosting this. Uh, it's been pretty informative. Um, I, I missed out the beginning, so I look forward to listening to the recording. Is there going to be a recording of this? Uh, yeah, hopefully TerraSpace. I'm not sure if TerraSpaces is in here or not. Usually they record all the Terra Twitter spaces. I'm not sure if they they caught this or not. We recorded it, though, so hopefully we'll be able to get it out there Okay. either way. Okay, cool. Um, well, I have a couple of questions. I guess one of them is for um, Anchor Protocol. And it's about the yield reserve. I'm not sure. Not sure if you can answer that for me. But basically, I, I, I can. I've been watching it for days, and I can see it depleting down from around 70 million to about 23 million or so today. And I heard. I tuned in a bit late, and I kind of heard you answer this question with someone else. But um, so the yield reserve is used to keep the interest rate stable at around 20 percent. Um, that's my understanding. And um, uh, and when there's less borrowers that are contributing interest and more depositors that are receiving interest, that yield reserve is being used up to keep it as close as possible to 20. So my question is now, uh, first of all, uh, this is my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but when, let's say in two weeks or three weeks if the situation remains the same and then that yield reserve goes down all the way to zero. Um, at that point, it's just that the interest rate that we're receiving as a depositor will be reduced. Uh, it's not that something we can, it can affect the peg in a certain way, right? That's the significance of the yield reserve. Am I under- yeah, that, that's correct. Yeah, and actually, Doquan did a great thread on this for anyone that mm-hmm. wants to go check that out, um, where he kind of broke everything down because there was obviously a lot of uh, people had concerns over the yield reserve uh, going down. Um, but the yield reserve being used in times like this is actually the perfect time for it to be utilized. And 
exactly what it's meant to be doing. Um, so it going down isn't uh, something to be too concerned about in that sense. If it does go down, what will end up happening, if it goes to zero, for instance, what will end up happening is uh, it'll go to a variable rate and that rate will likely be um, higher than a lot of the other rates that you can get on other protocols as they stand today uh, anyways. And so mm-hmm. um, it'll still be a very attractive uh, earn rate from that, from that sense. Okay, because that earn rate is is made up of the borrowers on one hand, and then the staking mechanism plays a role as well? Yes, that's correct. So the yield is coming from the liquid staking derivatives that people are putting up as collateral on the borrow side. So Mm -hmm. if you look at the collateral types that we have today, uh, you know, things like BLUNA, BETH, those yields are being redirected to the earn side through Anchor Protocol. And that's where part of that yield comes from. And then the rest of the yield is coming from the actual interest that borrowers are paying in the form of UST when they pay back the loan or get liquidated. Okay. Okay, great. Um, my last question on this side, uh, before I have a, a, one more on uh, Ozone, uh, on Risk Harbor, is, um, uh, so my last question on, on Anchor Protocol is, uh, assume the interest rate, the yield reserve goes down all the way to zero. The interest rate drops significantly, and we see a lot of withdrawals um, from the, the existing deposit base of around five billion, I believe it is at the moment, around five point two eight. Let's say that drops significantly, and people start redeeming. Should could that have an effect on uh, anything on, in terms of default, or or no? I'm not sure. Nate, we yes. lost, lost Nate again here, unfortunately. Um, I think the the you know certainly in in black swan events we've talked about kind of all all bets are off the table. Uh, but I think as we saw just from this past call it week or two, if you look at the deposits, they did drop you know half a billion dollars, a billion dollars uh, as a result of kind of the the, the MIM situation. And right, everything was actually unfazed. And and, and for, funny enough, it actually made the protocol a bit healthier because we have to pay out the depositors, right? And if you lose mm-hmm. the depositors, all of a sudden, right, the, you can pay out <laughs> a lower balance. So. In that event, right, where it was a 10%, 20% drop, which we just experienced, right, you can see not really any effect at all, um, even a little bit of a boost. Certainly, I think, right, maybe a 90% right drop would probably be a little bit different. Uh, but mm-hmm. no, I think the, the protocol is relatively, you know, stable from that perspective and relatively immune um, unless you get kind of one of those downward cycles that, that you know, the, the, that, that Max talked about earlier. Um, other than that, should be able to hold up relatively well. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. No, it's completely understood. I mean, uh, I'm a banker, and I know that uh, compared to the uh, deposits versus the collateral, what Anchor Protocol uh, has is a significantly better situation than most banks out there in terms of their ratios. Um, so, like you said, I think barring a black swan event and a massive dep- drawdown. I think it, it sounds like it should be okay. Just wanted to confirm that. Um, thank you for answering that. Uh, my other question on uh, Risk Harbor is, so um, as an insurance, so this is, this is uh, I understand this is similar to, because I've only checked out the ones that are on the Anchor Protocol website where you can protect, protect your deposit. I don't believe... Risk Harbor was on there. I've only seen Unslashed and uh, Nexus Mutual um, and Insurance and Bridge, Bridge Mutual. Um, but does it work the same way in the sense that I'm protecting my deposit against a peg or a, um, a smart contract failure? Yeah, so um, I, I think we're going to be on the, on the website soon. Um, just as we are, are scaling up the product, I think we're going to be the biggest provider of uh insurance for anchor so uh, of course we'll be on the website uh the uh the way it works is actually slightly different from uh the other governance-based insurance so uh we have a smart contract-based claims assessment uh we have written code that looks at whether there's a default event or not and pays out if there is and doesn't pay out if there isn't Whereas a lot of the other protocols, they have this massive overhead, Nexus in particular, where you have this governance process that decides whether to pay out or not. So that's a big difference. And then the other difference right now, we're uh, offering anchor protection right now, smart contract protection. Uh, But we're working 
uh, and hoping to launch quite soon the UST peg protection as well. And so those are both going to be there and they're going to protect principal in much the same way, but with a what we think is a better mechanism, which is use a smart contract to evaluate the claim, considering this is a whole ecosystem of smart contracts. So we want to rely on the security of the blockchain, not the security of, of human actors. Okay, I see. And what I can ensure is basically my uh, equivalent of uh, AUST. Yeah, you can ensure that your AUST is going to be at parity with the, the UST plus some copay. So you'll you'll be able to recover almost all of the principal that you deposit oh, if you purchase production. Really? Because I thought the AUST you're given is just a fraction, uh, I think maybe like a 20% less than the UST that you deposit. Am I misreading this? Yeah, so that's on the, the test pool right now. So we only have 10 million in there, but uh, when we are actually scaled to the the full height, it's going to be uh, around 95% of the principal. And that 5% difference there is, um, it's basically a, an economic mechanism that's common in almost all types of insurance called a copay. This makes sure that people who are using this, um, you know, are actually people who want the, the insurance, you know. So it's just a little bit of a check, 5% check to make sure that you really uh, do need this. And you see it in health insurance and car insurance and, and all, all over the place. So, yeah. Okay. And, and the protocol is not active now because I, I am on the website and trying to just price it up and stuff. But for some reason, it doesn't, it's connected to my wallet, but doesn't show me um, what my AUST balance. Is it not live at the moment or is there something wrong with my system? Yeah, the protocol is, is live to the best of my knowledge. So, um, Okay, the, I'll, I'll play around with it. It's okay. I think the the thing is we're we're at capacity right now, so all of the available protection has been purchased. So it, it may you may not be able to purchase protection on there right now because there's no capacity. But once again, to reiterate, stay tuned, everybody in the call for the announcement next week about capacity. Yeah. Okay. Great, great question. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. Let's take Micah now. Um, and then we'll take a few more questions. I want to be mindful of time. We're approaching an hour here. So we'll take a few more questions and then we'll uh, we'll close her up. Okay. Uh, thanks. Uh, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, great. So my first question would be, is there an option or will there be an option to um, automatically uh, renew the pool? So if a new pool is deployed, the old one ex expired, the new one is deployed to automatically... Um, so for both uh, buy protection and provide protection to automatically yeah, take the transfer the funds or the insurance to the next pool, or is this always an, a manual step I have to do? Yeah, I think Max covered that earlier. Um, so yeah, they're going to be building that in the compound mechanism that you're talking about. So you don't have to like withdraw, repurchase insurance at the same rate for the next three months. Is that correct, Max? Yeah, yeah, we have uh, already in our pipeline some some mechanisms that are going to help you purchase this protection on a rolling basis and make sure you're you're re-upped. So oh, that's okay. okay. Sorry, I I didn't get it then. So yeah, thanks. So another question is if I uh, look at the um, risk harbor core um, protocol now for for AUST and uh, click on the file claim uh, tab, it says. This pool is not in a hacked state. Uh, claims cannot be processed. So, what will switch the pool to a hacked state? So, uh, before you said um, it will try to redeem uh, the AUSC, and if that fails, you get paid out. But so first, this pool has to be set to a hacked state. So, in which step does that happen? Yeah. So, um, for the anchor protection or ETH mainnet, uh, there's a bit of a of a complication where we have to go through the bridge to Terra to check this thing. So that's why there's a difference uh, on uh, on ETH mainnet from what I described. But the one that's native on Terra, we don't have to go through the bridge. We can really just check it right in the contract, right? For, for the, um, the one that's on mainnet, we have to go through the bridge, and that's why there's that, that barrier there. But on the, the one that's on Terra, because it's on Terra, and you can just go straight through the blockchain or just check 
directly with the contract as they communicate with each other. Okay, but but then but then how would it work for for core? Um, if I try to, of course, you can you can easily check the UST pack by by checking the Oracle Chainlink Oracle. Okay, um, but but how about redeeming the AUST tokens? How would that work? Now, if I want to file a claim and yeah, so the um, the the UST pack, I'll talk about that first. We go and we check the uh, AMM. Uh, we we go in and we check the Uniswap time weighted average price. And I think we also do a check on Chainlink as well. So we're uh, we're basically checking the, the Oracle price there, and we can see that on mainnet. And then for the um, the US for the anchor side, we like send this uh, there's this built-in part of the anchor protocol which goes through the bridge automatically, and um, that is what we are checking. So it takes like a long time to go through. All right. Well, let's um, let's take uh, the next question here. Thanks for your questions, Micah. Um, we're going to take um, one from Fusion here, and then maybe one more after that, depending on uh, time. And then we'll close her up. Right. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, I just have a quick one regarding the default ratio for the Terra Risk Harbor. Um, insurance and just basically you you mentioned earlier that um you, you the insurance is protecting against uh the the price uh, variation between AUST and UST so basically the 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 default triggers when um AUST price goes below uh, UST and uh, uh i guess the question is regarding whether that will be updated um as the AUST price goes along. So currently, I think AUST is like 1.18, but you know, as, as the time goes by, it will increase and will the default ratio also increase? Sorry, could you repeat the, the last part again? Yeah, my, my question is whether, whether the, the default ratio will increase um, as time goes by to kind of like track a uh, 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 a, a probability of default. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, the way that we're going to adjust the default ratio uh, over time, I, I don't think we're going to we're going to adjust it to account for the additional yield that's been earned on the AUST. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we're going to adjust too much the the actual like percentage there because. We don't really think like if it's ninety five percent that we are expecting to get get ninety five percent or more of what we're expecting back. Like, there's not a lot of events that would cause it to be ninety six percent, but not ninety five percent. Yeah. So there's there's not a lot of reason to change it around in that interval because there's just like in in terms of the way anchor protocol works, like it's usually going to be like either nothing or everything so not a lot of time that yeah. we're going to get 97% or something yeah yeah because um so so when the the first tranche uh, of the terra native uh, insurance launched i think the default ratio was um 1 AUST to 1 UST and the payout ratio was 1.14 i'm not wrong so i i think that translated to like um a default ratio or the, the 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 insurance get triggered when um i think the AUST price drops about 80% and the payout ratio would be about 95 96% uh, but my question is is about the default ratio on like whether that will be updated because i know you mentioned that the the, the co-payment will always kind of remain about 95 96% but the the default trigger um is uh, triggered by like that 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 80%, but will will that be updated? Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be updated well. as well, and it's going to be updated right. every time we relaunch the vault to to account for new yields. And then the, the other thing yeah. is like that can that can wiggle a little bit because uh, just based on the way Anchor works, like the probability that we see like a default return value between 90 and 70 is like very low. It's either going to be like very low number, like one or zero percent or hundred percent. 
So right. in some ways, like we could put that anywhere in the range and, and the functionality would be almost identical just based on the way the protocol works. But yes, we're going to update that to the, the same level uh, as the payout ratio and we'll be updating it every time. The uh, Right, right, right. Updates. Okay. Yeah. So, so because you, you, you see it as like the, the risk being all or nothing. So it's, it's uh, not a huge importance to kind of update that, that frequently. Yeah. I mean, I think um, we're going to update it because it's not a big uh, deal to update it when we're already updating the payout ratio. But from a mechanics perspective and from like a theoretical perspective, there's almost no difference between it being at 80% right. and 95% for the, how this payout work. All right. Then that makes sense. All right. Awesome. Thanks for the question, Fusion. Um, we're going to close her up here. Uh, thanks, Max, for coming on and, and discussing uh, Risk Harbor with us. We really appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Like, uh, We're super, super excited about um, this partnership and just bringing new levels of security to Anchor and, and bringing new entrants into the protocol and the Terra ecosystem as a whole. And thanks for all the great questions from everybody. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks so much. This cleared up a lot, even for me. I think it was really, really successful. So everyone have a great evening or morning, wherever you are in the world. And we'll be back again next week. Sure Win capacity, Max. Win capacity. <laughs> that's, that's the takeaway. Win capacity. Everybody, make sure you stay tuned. Announcement is going to be next week about capacity. Very exciting stuff. So There you go. Follow him on, follow him on Twitter, guys. And uh, ping him for notifications as well. So then you can get the updates on when they drop the alpha there. We'll see you guys later. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Risk Harbor Ozone Anchor Community AMA. Recorded on Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. This episode of The Ether was brought to you by WeFund. WeFund is a community crowdfunding cross-chain incubator on Terra, and it's the first launchpad that implements a milestone funding release system to protect investors. All money raised for projects is deposited in Anchor Protocol, and it's refundable, and all decisions are based on community voting power. WeFund is community-focused and designed to be a user-friendly experience for both project creators and investors. Be sure to follow them on Twitter and join the Telegram for more information. Links are in the show notes and check them out online at wefund.app. This episode of the Ether is also brought to you by Luart. Luart is the first gamified NFT platform built on the Terra network. Luart provides a seamless minting and trading experience, all while earning you rewards just for being a user. Be sure to follow them on Twitter and join the community in the Discord server for the most up-to-date news and announcements regarding all the hot new NFT launches, platform upgrades, and new projects hitting the secondary marketplace. Are you ready to put your helmet on and join the movement? Find out more at luart.io. TerraSpaces appreciates the support from all our sponsors. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Digging in the dirt, trying to find the treasure. Learning how to mix this business with pleasure. I'm kicking a lecture, spitting conjecture. High as a bird while I'm flipping the gesture. Living like a jester, investing these extras. Dissecting a mess, an eagle looking headstrong. If in a Tesla, the spit in his next world. And if you don't agree, well then I'm afraid you're dead wrong. So leave the mess hall and clean your plates up. I can't believe the rest of y'all feed on makeup. Bereavement breakup to rearrange your wake up. Big ol' bloody mess like a scene from Braveheart. Driving race cars that beat the fate it's hard to meet your maker when the features ain't marked trying to slide underneath the paywall i'm afraid this motherfucker's gone awol you had better unfuck yourself or i will unscrew your head and kick down your neck sir yes sir private joker why did you join my beloved gold sir to kill sir no you're a killer sir yes sir let me see your war face sir you got a war face on the earth trying to mine some headspace give a little gift like i'm lifted dead weights the risk of resting kicks the nest egg square in the nuts y'all feeling testy the breeze swept in no need of resting the least depressing so sweet but messy i need the best day to keep professing and hope my body doesn't leave behind a red stain pouring out a little liquor for the dead states while the rest wait and bleed domestic no means to gestate breeds the best cake beauty on the back of the queen she just ate so take a little dive down a K-hole while I flip the B-roll right into A-roll and make the payroll go a little further. Replace the merger with the tainted version.
You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Now get up. Get on your feet. Ten spaces.